Welcome to Arts and Humanities Futures, a series of conversations from the Leeds Arts and Humanities Research Institute, where we're exploring the future of research in the arts and humanities. It's a critical moment to be having this discussion. The world is responding to the enormous challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic, which has also thrown into sharp relief structural fragilities and inequities. The environmental crisis continues to unfold. Internationally, there's a reckoning with long-standing issues of racial injustice, and changes in the international order are shaping local and national contexts in a wide range of ways. These developments will help shape the arts and humanities, and the arts and humanities have a crucial role to play in helping societies to respond to the changing world in which we live. So, in each conversation, we bring together researchers and stakeholders from the research community at Leeds to discuss some key questions and, in turn, to stimulate further debate and reflection. What's changing in your fields? How might the rapidly changing context for research affect your work? How would you like to see research develop over the next few years? And what might we do now to help make that happen? This conversation brings together Professor Janet Watson from the School of Languages, Cultures and Societies at the University of Leeds with Dominic Gray, Projects Director at Opera North. Janet and Dominic discuss issues around music and song, protest songs and poetry. We hope you enjoy the conversation. I believe we're supposed to introduce ourselves, aren't we, so that people know who we are. So do you, do you want to go first? Yes, OK. So I'm Janet Watson. Um, I'm Chair of Language at Leeds and Co-Director of the Centre for Endangered Languages, Cultures and Ecosystems at the University of Leeds. I've been here since 2013 um, and I work, my research is on endangered Semitic languages spoken in the south of the Arabian Peninsula. I used to work on Arabic dialects. I still do a bit of work on Arabic dialects and standard Arabic, but most of my work is involved with endangered languages now. Great. Well, I'm, I'm Dominic Gray. I'm Director of Projects at Opera North. Uh, and this week I'm celebrating, if that's the right word, 25 years at Opera North. Uh, I don't know how that happened, but it did. Um, and one of the things that I, well, as Director of Projects at Opera North, I spend my time uh, uh, making collaborations between Western classical music and other um, other musical genres, uh, trying to get opera to look outside of its um, sometimes quite narrow confines to collaborate with artists who are new to opera or, or new to classical music in any way. Uh, work a lot with the University of Leeds and, and some other universities as well uh, on collaborative projects and uh, what else do I do? Um, oh, and the probably the main thing I do is I run uh, Opera North's second space, which is the 300 seat Howard Assembly Room uh, in Leeds, and that so that that's our kind of our playground, if you like, for making making new work uh, in there. So we've been closed for two years, refurbishment, but we're about to reopen in October, uh, and very excited about that. So we've had a lot of we've had a lot of Arabic. Um, musicians and bands playing in that space in fact over the over the years so i'll be really interested to explore that with you yes yes and we've had some interesting conversations over the past few weeks that's been um, really great yeah yeah i mean i think i think one of the areas in which we i mean we we've both worked with arab speakers arab performers mm. um but the fact that you do a lot of collaborative work um mm. 
also chimes with the collaboration that I do and have been doing since I came to the University of Leeds. Before that, I had mainly worked on individually authored projects. Right. Um, but since coming to Leeds, I've done a lot more collaboration and really gone outside my comfort zone. And you, do you like do you like that? Is that a good thing? I or do. do, you, do you, you don't miss the, the narrow specialisation? No, um, sometimes I do. Um, at the moment, I'm working on um, I, I have a two year research project where I'm where I'm working with other people. And I've had I've had a similar fellowship before where I've just been working on my own. Right. And you can I think you can get work done more quickly when you're not collaborating, but it's not as rich. Yeah. 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 And you don't there are problems that you just don't notice if you're working, if you're yeah. working on your own. Yeah. It's the questions that you ask, isn't it? Or the, that get asked of you that you kind of stopped thinking about maybe, you know, years before, but somebody re reviving a question or saying, well, why did you why did you think that in the first place can be really helpful? Exactly. Exactly. Because you you've been working in this area or with this problem for so long, it's it's self-explanatory to you. Yeah. 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 And you don't yeah. realise how much it actually needs to be unpacked. Oh, isn't that true? Isn't that true? That's true of everything, isn't it? It's really good. Yeah. So, I mean, particularly with the centre that I'm working with at the moment, which uh, was launched in January 2019 on right. endangered languages, cultures, and right. ecosystems. So I brought in the languages, but it was only talking to colleagues that I realised how important the cultures and ecosystems also were. Yeah. In order to maintain endangered languages, that once the culture goes, you lose yeah. something of the language. Once the language goes, you lose something of the culture. Once the <sighs> ecosystem goes, you lose something of the language and the culture. And do, 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 do you have other collaborators on that? So as well as, you know, do, do you also have economists or, 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 or um, climate science? Do, how, far, how far outside the language do you, do you look? So we, we so obviously we have geography for the ecosystems. Yeah. Um, and someone who works on institutional economics. And it made me realise how important the economics of all of this is and, and the notion of value. Yeah. What, what is value? Value is so much more than the, than the monetary economics. We have people who work on culture, people who work on communications and media, digital humanities. And we have, um, we have collaborators from local communities in various areas of the world, in Latin America, in in Southern Arabia, in Africa, it's it's really interesting. I think you know one of the things that I'm that I'm very interested in within the the arts and cultural sector is how increasingly um, you can't you can't think about arts and culture outside of the context of. I mean, it's something that you, that you guys in the academy are very familiar with, but impact and engagement. You know, we're not just making art for our own private benefit. It's got to be co-produced. It's got to have a, a reason for existing. And, and and we're finding it really hard. I mean, maybe it's because of being opera, which is, you know, a high art form. But one of the things we're finding really hard, but we're really engaged with, is how we bring other voices into dialogue with with us and with, with opera uh to to think about what you know what the future is going to going to be and and you know it, it's it's so it's a it's a really interesting challenge i think for well certainly certainly for the, for the arts is it's about what's what's the purpose and function of having the arts 
in society. Absolutely. And how art can be used as a tool, which is one of the things that we were talking about with the Arabic poetry and songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's 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 go back to that because I was yeah, I was so interested when you were talking about um the, the kind of the poet, the figure of the poet and the use of poetry in in what I'm going to say is in early Arabic culture, but it might might not. It might be very old. But um, do, you, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because it was I hadn't come across it before. Yes. Yeah. So I first became really interested in this um, with a, a collaborative project I had um, with uh, the professor of poetry at Liverpool University on Yemen in conflict. Hmm. And the use of popular literature as the expression and resolution of conflict, so as right. a tool, um, and then we we narrowed it down to to the poetry. And I began to think back to work I'd done with my under, undergraduate years about the different types of Arabic poetry, how important poetry is in the Arab world, and how it was used as a tool um, in various in various ways. So I mean it's. Uh, so I could I could talk briefly about the different types of poetry that you get. Um, so you'd have the court poet, so yeah. the court the uh, mud who would produce poetry as eulogy or a panegyric for the for the for the leaders. And then you get insult poems, hijab, elegies, of course, which I think are probably almost universal. Yeah. And descriptive poems, wasps, descriptive poems, and puzzle, love poems. Again universal. In the Abbasid era in particular, Khamriya, wine poetry, there was someone called Abu Nuwaz who was very, who was, who was well known for his wine poetry. Then you get poetry around the hunt, Tardia, homiletic poetry, boasting, and the war poetry. And it's that I think that um, that is particularly relevant, how the poet would be the first person out on the battlefield. Yeah. And would deliver his poem for one I, side, the poem for the other. And poetry, there's very, it's very often a duet mm, between poets mm, and improvise. And I know we were going mm, to talk about improvisation mm, later on. So the first poet may well have thought about his poem before he delivers it, but the second poet is is responding instantaneously, spontaneously to what he's heard in the correct poetic meter, which is just extraordinary. I find that so I, I, I write poetry, but it does take me a long, long time. And I could certainly not come up with a poem in response to another poem. But so these were being uh, spontaneously written, so to speak. Yeah, or, yeah. Um... I mean, not written. They, they, most of them wouldn't be, wouldn't be written. Yeah, yeah. Most of them are just oral. And, they, and it was at a later stage that, that they'd be written. Yeah. And, and were they set um, structures? So is it improvising within a... Within yeah. certain metres, yes. Yeah, yeah right. There were, there were particular metres. Now that makes sense. So with the, with the war poetry and the poet going out in front of the what, army, for want of a better word, it, that's a kind of... Um, well, I don't know how secular and how sacred that... Or, or how sacred that would have been. But it's a kind of... Gives a value to the battle, doesn't it? That it, it kind of... It kind of places the battle as part of a bigger scheme. Absolutely, absolutely, because of course the poetry was used for historical documentation in some way. Right. And and this was how historical events were trans were often transmitted. 
um, and in the region where, where, where I work, continue to be transmitted through poetry. Yeah. So if we flick forward, because I know we, we, we started talking about the Arab Spring and, and some of the, you know, the use of chant and, so, and, and popular song as well um, in that. Can, can you tell me a bit more about, about that? And, and, you know, I suppose, you know, as a, a Western person with limited knowledge of these things, I'm really interested how far a protester is able to push the language or push the form before they get arrested, if you see what I mean. You know, I think it very much depends on which country you're in. Okay, right. Yeah, so um, a lot of the um, a lot of the protests were using the same refrain: "Shab, Yurid, Iskat, and Nabat." The people want the fall of the regime, which had a right. nice beat to it: "Shab, Yurid, Iskat, and Nabat." And you can imagine going through the streets yeah, and yeah, yeah. this. In Oman, if you were to call for the fall of the regime, that is one thing that would definitely end you in prison. Okay. So the Arab Spring, when it reached Oman, they said, we just changed the word and Islam, the regime, for al-Fasad, corruption. Okay, okay. And actually, this was the thing that they were fighting against. It wasn't so much the regime, it was the corruption that, that went with the regime and which was under the main Right. A bit like the medieval barons. And by shouting out, the protesters couldn't be arrested because there was nothing in the right. constitution which said that asking for the fall of corruption was a, an imprisonable offence. How, how does it, which is musically the more satisfying? Oh, which of those two? Yeah. Or, or, or do they both work perfectly well? They both have the same number okay. of syllables, same number of long syllables. Okay, so you so they're not losing, they're not losing. Not losing anything, not losing anything. Yeah, no. yeah. Except there was there was apparently one day when when people were out in Salala, in the, the main town in in southern Oman, and one person, one of the the leaders of the of the city, shouted out a shabburi discarton azam, and his friend nudged him with his elbow and he said. Alpha said, Alpha said. <laughs> Fantastic. Self self policing. Self policing, yeah. exactly, exactly. And so this was uh, that that chant, where, you know, even with minor changes, it was the same chant used across the Arab Spring. Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. And what what about other other forms of music as part of protest in? The Arab world is so other forms of traditional music with changed words mm. have certainly been used in the Sudanese revolution that James Dickens is is working on. Yeah, and that is really interesting. They he he has a very rich archive now of of poetry yeah. and songs, mainly songs right. that have been used. I think principally without instruments, but I I can't be totally sure about that. Uh -huh during during the revolution i guess instruments takes longer to prepare doesn't it because you've got to rehearse and and you everyone... can't be with a group of we can't yeah, be with yeah. a, a great crowd of people can you no that's interesting so i i remember I mean, we, we were talking about protest marches in the uk in the 80s and 90s and you know occasionally you'd have somebody with a trumpet you'd have quite a lot of drums actually drums i was just going to say that yeah but but you you couldn't really have a string quartet 
Um, <laughs> you couldn't really have an opera. You couldn't have an opera, no. No, that would have to wait twenty years to, yeah, to to come into place. But um, so that that makes yeah, that does make sense. You know, when we've had in the Howard Assembly Room, when we've had visiting singers or bands from countries that that went through the Arab Spring or are still going through it, I guess you know Syria and Morocco, Tunisia. Um, a lot of the time, they they were refugees. You know, the bands coming to us were refugees, uh, um, and certainly the content of the music. I mean, I don't speak the language, but talking to the artists about it, about what they were performing and when they would introduce numbers, there was a lot of uh, anger and a lot of um, a lot of protest in the music that they were performing so it's interesting that 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 you know that you can take it on tour as a band and tour it around the west and play you know a set of 12 songs on the theme of being a refugee from mali or or whatever but but you couldn't you know obviously you wouldn't be able to perform that in your own country in any way no 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 but i think this brings us on to something else that art gives us some sort of protection mm that there are things that you can say through artistic forms that you couldn't say through non-artistic form, through ordinary prose. Because it's spontaneous, because it's a cry of some kind? Possibly, possibly. Maybe because it's felt in some way, I don't know, to be beyond the voice of the speaker. It also carries a lot so more got... than a little speech, doesn't it? Or a, a long speech. So, so Shabiuri, this curtain of arm went everywhere, just covered the Arab world. Um, I mean, that's a that's a, a very short chant. Um, but I think that you're more likely to remember a poem yeah. than you are a speech. Yeah, you're yeah, more yeah. likely to remember a song yeah. through the rhythm. Even yeah. if you don't remember perhaps all the words, you still have the rhythm in your head. And so it's maybe less likely to die. Oh, I think definitely. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned um, James Dickens's work on the on the Sudanese revolution. One of the things when I when I read that uh, the PowerPoint that you sent me about that, the the, the song forms that, that that he was talking about, which, in, you know, they basically you had the the unaccompanied solo voice is one form. And obviously that's very, very portable. Uh, and it's very personal, which brings a lot of emotional, you know, you can you can empathise with the singer very easily. Uh, the call and response form, which is, you know, we all do call and response since we're small children. You know, mother and baby songs are uh, call and response songs. Workers songs are call and response. You know, I think you think about the... Um, uh, the kind of uh, slavery plantation songs and prison songs that you know that that were recorded by Alan Lomax back in the forties in America. And it's all call and response because it's easily remembered. It has a form that you can uh, that you can feel your place within um, very easily. And then the other form of song is the commun communal singing, which is you know like a football crowd, I guess, or or or, or the chants you were just talking about um, in the Arab Spring, where everybody knows the words. You can. You know, you don't. You can you can drop out for a while and have a cup of tea or whatever, and the song will continue, and then you join back in when when you're ready. So it's got that real open flexibility to it. But I'm I'm really interested in you saying that that your 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 thought that um you know that that if you're making a protest song, it gives you some protection. 
uh, and it makes it safer than I you know I'm very interested in that that um you know outside of the you know the protest itself when you're when you're reflecting on it afterwards and turning that into a song how that, how that works it almost works like a, a mask yes because it's not you it's not you is it you yeah you're not the eye necessarily the singer isn't necessarily the eye yes I, I think I told you about the um the cartoonist in Yemen yes that was in, in the yeah in the newspaper yeah so until until unification in 1990 or 91 there was one one Yemeni newspaper in North yeah. Yemen a Thawra, yeah. the revolution um, and the only thing worth reading was the cartoon on the back. Okay, because because all the rest was watered down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, censored. Yeah. 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 Everything else. Everything else was censored. But they gave they gave the cartoonist license. They gave the cartoonist license. I mean, he didn't he, he didn't he didn't talk about a lot of political things, but he did look at social issues, education, pollution, littering. Um, yeah, and of course people who, who can't read and write can enjoy the cartoon oh yes of course yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. so so that that helps too yeah um, there was a very high high level of illiteracy at, at that stage less so in the in the capital but but there was a high level of illiteracy particularly amongst women again i mean i guess you know you you were mentioning it earlier about songs being being um what's the word well spontaneously produced rather than writ rather than written and I guess that is to do with a, a whole culture that a whole society that isn't that doesn't write down but but produces um so you know stories being poetry and stories being told um by by word of mouth I, you know and and learned by general so i I'm always really interested in um how much change happens to a narrative poem or a narr- you know a narrative saga over time when it's being when it's being handed on you know in in the oral tradition that's really you know and and, and when political incidents happened how how long or quickly before they get incorporated into the saga or the poem you know the, that's interesting yeah that you could have this very ancient basis and then the political historical events get incorporated into into this base you know, and does that happen overnight, or does it happen over a generation? Uh, you know, the... and who does it? And it is, it is really interesting. I suppose it's a bit like our fairy tales. Well, our fairy tales, fairy tales across across the globe, that are designed to be to be spoken, not to be written down. And, yeah. and when they're written down, something's lost. When they're written down, and then have the accompanying illustrations, they're lost mm. even more because you're mm. told what to think, you're told mm. what to have in your head, whereas the fairy tale that is that is told to the child at night is somehow personalised, and it's always different. Every time mm. it's told, it's different, and it can yeah, be yeah, yeah. and it can be shortened. It's made relevant. But the pro, you know, the 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 the, uh, the critical voice or the critical song that's criticised, you know, speaking truth to power. It's a different thing, isn't it? I, I suppose I'm, I'm thinking about um, now. What again? What do I know? But it seems to me a lot of the countries that we're talking about in terms of the Arab Spring and so on were were for a long time nomadic i mean now there are cities uh, and so on but a lot of the a lot of the people living in those countries would have moved around a, a lot would they not is that right and and so the 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 portability of the song or the poem or the or the saga is is built into the way of life of the culture carrying it 
Yes, yes. I mean, they're not pe the people in the Arab world. It depends where you are, but they're not not all nomadic. Some yeah. were traditionally settled. Right, so you've got right, this right. difference between Hadar and Badu. Badu being the being the yeah. nomads, and yeah. Hadar being settled people. Right. Um, so even in an ancient country like Yemen, um, particularly in North Yemen, where you have where you have the, where you've got a coastal plain, and then you've got foothills then you've got the mountains and then you've got the uh, the central plateau you've got the towns which are quite yeah. ancient on yeah, the yeah, central yeah. plateau and then you have villages in the mountains um which are also ancient so and you you, you have ancient cities like damascus and baghdad yeah, of course and cairo of course and like and libraries actually and libraries magnificent libraries the library yeah. of alexandria yeah one of the things that really impressed me in Yemen when I when I spent time in the capital in Sana'a was despite the fact that less than 80% of the population were literate, Gosh. you had huge numbers of magnificent bookshops. Yeah. I could get, oh, oh, there was a, a street called Jamal Street, Sherin mm. Jamal, and most of the bookshops were on that were on that street and I could just spend hours and hours in them and some people not many but some people would have would have a, a real library in their own houses and I thought that was interesting considering the low level of literacy people who are literate are really using the skill that they've got and it's and it's prized and it's absolutely at prized yes yes yeah there was a a, a group of poets who who would who would meet out the poetry a poetry group very famous poet poets would get would get together and yeah. and, and, and uh, recite their poetry so poetry was always i mean poetry has always been valued throughout the arab world and and some and some poets would would write would write down their poems so you've got duens of of poetry that's been produced i was um we, one of the um one of the art musicians that we worked with uh, is a oud player called Kayam Alami, who is Iraqi, Iraqi born. He he spends his time now between between Iraq and the UK. He made a made a piece for us called Requiem, uh, which in which he used um, discarded ouds, which had been you know, been broken, so the neck might be broken or the the body of the of the oud would be broken, and he arranged them in this beautiful kind of circle, kind of egg shaped circle. Uh, suspended from the ceiling and had speakers inside each oud and uh, as you walked around the space the music would come out of the of the oud and the, the music uh, he you know he'd written a new piece of, of music and um, he actually used some of the musicians from our orchestra as well which was really great and very very clever of him to find a way to include that kind of western sound in a in a very arab uh, sound sound world that he was creating, but it was really beautiful. But he was talking about the creation myth of the oud, which I thought was really really interesting. The reason he wanted to suspend these broken shells of ouds was that the, uh, that apparent you know the the story goes in in Iraq anyway that um, that one of the great 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 grandchildren of Cain of Cain and Abel was Lamech and Lamech always wanted a child and never had a child and lived to 150 or something and 
had 50 wives and thousand lovers, but couldn't have a child. And in the end, towards the end of his life, he has a boy uh, and um, he, he loves this child and dotes on him. But then the child dies and Lamech takes the body of the child and refuses to bury it and hangs it from a tree. And over time, the skin hardens and the you know the so the uh, and in the end i think the thigh of the child becomes the body of the ood and the the leg becomes the neck and the feet become you know the where the the, the head of the ood where you tune it and this the, the you know the veins become the strings uh, and so you have this idea that the the instrument itself has kind of got this mythical creation myth behind it and it's really compelling i suppose what i really like about the story is the, is the idea that um that it brings well you know i know that the romani have a similar there's a there's a similar myth around the violin that the violin is is was created out of the parts of well, the way the story goes is that, as I recall it, is that the the woman, the 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 daughter the daughter of the family, uh, wants to marry the handsome prince who rides through the forest every day, and she makes a deal with the devil, and the devil says the devil says I'll I'll let you have the 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 handsome prince, um, but you have to um, you have to do what I say, and what and what this involves is is that her four brothers all die and they're turned into the strings and her father is turned into the body of the of the violin and the mother is turned into the neck of the violin and then and then she plays the violin and sure enough the handsome prince falls in love with her but she's lost everything <laughs> everything in her life okay. so whenever anybody plays the violin that's why in romani tradition the violin is associated with it's called the doina the um the kind of lamenting the lamenting music of of the gypsy romany you know it's you can play a happy tune but really the violin is there to play laments and and it loss. does and cry I, doesn't it and just and just cry yeah, and i i i really like the, the this idea that cultures around the world develop ideas about music being i don't know being being part of the act of creation i suppose that they, they, they you know you don't just make a piano it comes from some other story that you're that it's part of a bigger story than itself I, I find that really beautiful yeah yeah I think a lot of what we've been talking about has been about improvising so not writing down improvising yeah, 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 yeah. improvising poems improvising songs I suppose my cartoonist friend improvised he heard something and just put it down <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, he, and you were talking about another friend of yours I can't remember what I think it might have been Yemen again but the, the woman who's she's called the dictionary that's right and yes. people contact people contact her to find out what what certain you know how, how does that work what yes well she she was brought she was brought up by her father and her grandfather uh, her mother died very young she she had a nomadic nomadic existence when she was young um and in the evenings people would sit down by the fire and drink goat's milk or cow, or or camel's milk depending on depending on what they had and they would recite poems and and this was this was what what happened until very recently and she would sit there and she would memorize these poems and she would have heard one or two poems in the evening and the next morning she'd memorize them 
and recite them. And once memorised, she didn't forget them. She's just absolutely extraordinary. And uh, we refer to her to her as Al Qamus, the dictionary. And yeah. whenever whenever I contact her, her her sons or her daughters to ask about a particular word, they'll very often say, "Oh, we must just I just need to check with Al Qamus." <laughs> Yeah, she's uh, she's she's extraordinary. So that and that's entirely oral, isn't it? So that's that's hearing it, remembering it, reciting it. Yeah, and then yeah, other she people. Doesn't, she doesn't read and write. Right, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, you know, that that it, the improvised, the, I suppose that that kind of um, uh, very very flexible, very free sharing of poetry and song contrasts hugely with with the kind of the core of where i work which is you know the western classical tradition which is all about nailing it down i find it really i find it really um i find it really difficult uh, i have to be honest um and not in a bad way i quite like i quite like the wrestling match uh that people like me who work in the area of the arts that i work in really believe that music opera those traditions can speak to the present, can be relevant, can be engaged in in the present. But 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 the forms, the way the forms are transcribed and and handed down from generation to generation are kind of the opposite of what we've been talking about with the Arabic world. Yeah. Where they, you know, you have to play it in a particular way. Not only do you have, not only does the tune go go like this and it's written down but also the orchestration of the tune the accompaniment this is where the violin comes in this is where it stops this is where the double bass plays this is where it stops it's kind of a kind of prison and it's it's how you know how an artist can be a musician or a, a you know a, a musical artist can be creative within that strict regime is for me really really interesting and of course they are which is why you will go and see player x do a do a piano concerto with the orchestra rather than player y because because player x has got that way of creating something new out of that out of that constraint whereas player y maybe will just play the notes in the right order yeah yeah you've still got the creation of something new haven't you you have but it's but it's hard won it is hard one. I was thinking about Shakespeare. So my father was a Shakespeare scholar, and we used to oh, go yeah. to we used to go to Stratford a lot. And and after I left home, he he and my mum would would travel all over the country in search of in search of Shakespeare's plays. Wow. Um, okay. And yes, you had to stick to the script absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Act One had to be like this. Act Two had to be like this. But yeah. there was a there was some sense of 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 novelty create create creativity within that yeah within yeah. those really strict parameters and I suppose if we come back to the Arab to the Arabic poetry with its various um, meters yes yes that was yes there's improvisation but it's again within these very strict parameters yeah. Go go outside the meter and no, that's not a poem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. change. That is changing now. So a lot of a lot of modern poetry goes very goes goes very far away from the meters. Right, and is accepted. And it is, is accepted. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. I mean, I think with with in in Britain anyway, with and maybe Germany as well, probably with with Shakespeare and classical plays. Yeah, there's a there's a lot more encouragement now, isn't there, of um, breaking breaking them. So you 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 could go to see you could go to see a production of Othello that might open with Othello murdering Desdemona and then rewind to how did we get there, so sort of thing. Or and there was the famous um, Jan Cot. Uh, Macbeth, uh, Hamlet in the sixties or early seventies, where he snipped up all the all the lines from the play and rearranged them into a different order, so that you oh, know, that's interesting. Which was really, really, I mean, at the time, incredibly radical. But um, I think with I think with theatre, you can be more playful with the form. I think with opera and symphonic orchestral music, you know, if you said, okay, we're gonna we're gonna leave out the duets from act three then you'd get you'd get booing you'd have people walking out you'd have i think that's right it's yeah it's very uh set in it's set in its ways i suppose but i suppose it's the audience that's set in its ways as much it's the audience that's pushing for this as much as the as much as opera yeah i think so yeah yeah i think that's right i think i think that's very true actually uh, you know and, and like like anything there's there's a split isn't there there's, there's the the opera audience that wants to see new work and wants to see you being creative with the old work and radical and questioning. And then there's the audience that I guess is a kind of self-identity thing that the, if you start changing that, then you're questioning them in some way, you know, that, and, and there's, Kind of entitlement around that, I think. Yes, I was just thinking of a, 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 a version of. I'm pretty sure it was Romeo and Juliet. It could have been Hamlet, but the that was um, performed in Egypt. The deaths didn't happen at the end. Right. Okay. <laughs> it was a happy ending. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so my my Egyptian colleague said this this was because the audience wouldn't have liked to see the deaths. Oh, bless. Well, none of us do. No, I'd, I, I'd like to go and see that version, actually. Yeah, this... I would too. I would too. <laughs> but that brings me on to something else, which is sort of related. Captain Corelli's Mandolin. Have you read it? I haven't. No, no, I know it. I know it. I didn't see the film either, I'm afraid. So you, you'll have to tell me. Right. Well, if you, if you read, read the book first and then see the film. Hmm. So the, the film ending is just what the book should have done. <laughs> right, right. A lot of people were, were criticising the ending of the film because it wasn't so. Uh, basically, he goes back to her um, when she's still young. I think it's just a few months after he he, he leaves. Whereas, in fact, he returns to her when she's in her sixties. <laughs> right, right, right. I remember coming out after seeing the film in in summer in Yemen and and saying to saying to the head of the British Council, "That's how the book should have ended." <laughs> yeah, we all need we all need a happy ending now and again, don't we? Yeah, I think that that's been really that's been really really interesting. Again, um, we were going to talk about the Battle of Algiers, but we didn't get onto that. I don't think it would have flowed naturally out of out of where where we were, but that's okay. Another time, maybe we'll have to do another one. Yes, or actually meet up and talk about it. Oh, can we? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be good. Be great to meet up. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Thank you for joining the conversation. This is one of five conversations to be released over May and June 2021, which are available via major podcast platforms. If you'd like to comment on any of the issues raised in this podcast on social media, please use the hashtag Arts and Humanities Futures. And follow us on Twitter at LeedsAHRI.